Thank you very much. Let's take the Word of God this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 26, if you would. And I want you to pray that God would lead me. I'm praying about a new series to begin on Wednesday evenings since we've concluded our, our series around those seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. I've been thinking about starting a series regarding the Christian home, the family. And I think Satan is really attacking the family today and looking at what God's Word says. I'm not settled on that yet, but you pray with me. I've been teaching one of my courses this term is on the Christian home and seems to be something that is applicable. You pray with me that God will direct you. But this is a portion of Scripture I read, I've read this week in my daily reading, something that God has spoken to me about. Genesis chapter 26, we'll begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll read together down to verse number 25. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him, and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife, and how saidest thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, Lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lied with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land, and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great, and went forward, and grew until he became very great. For he had possession of flocks, and possession of herds, and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. 
And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Esek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. And we know, we believe that God will bless the reading and the hearing of his word this evening. I want to draw your attention to verse number 1 of chapter 26. And there was a famine in the land. I want to speak with God's help this evening on following God in the famine. I don't think any one of us need a reminder that we are living in a day of spiritual famine. I don't think you need me to remind you that this world and this age in which we find ourselves today is a dark one and a thirsty one. The question isn't whether or not we're in a famine. The question is, what do we do in the famine? You ever felt that? Have you ever thought that? What are we going to do? And I think God in His mercy has given us some sort of a pattern here, some helpful thoughts in regards to how Isaac acted and how Isaac Followed the Lord in the famine. Number one, I want you to look in our text and see the direction in the famine. Let me encourage you tonight. If God is going to bring his people through a famine, he will lead them in it. He doesn't desire to put you in a famine and leave you there to figure it all out yourself. Now, sometimes we bring the famine on ourselves. You remember the story of the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance ran off into a far country, wasted his substance with riotous living, and there arose a mighty famine in the land. He brought that on himself in many ways. But not every famine is a result of us running away from God. Sometimes it's the result of our nation running away from God. Sometimes it's the result of the world turning its back on God. Well, let's find what, what is the direction in the famine. You can't follow God unless you have direction. Verse number two, the Lord appeared unto him. Now that's very comforting to know that even in the midst of a famine, God still makes himself known to his people. In fact, I'd say, especially in the times of a famine, does God seek to make himself known. He wants you to know him. And so God appeared unto Isaac in the days of the famine. Now can I just say to you, this is the only source of direction in a famine. In a dark day in which we live, in a difficult time, if you want to know what to do and where to go, you better be looking out for God. You better be listening for His voice. The trouble is we're looking everywhere but where we ought to be looking. Well, the Lord appeared unto him, and look at the warning He gives him. 
go not down into Egypt. God stopped him. Because let me show you what was happening. A famine came and Isaac said, I'm headed south. Now Egypt, we know, throughout Scripture is often a picture of the world. Well, uh, the Israelites have not become servants of Egypt at this point in history, but you could say the same application applies. Isaac was headed to the world. Things had gotten bad, and so he said, well, I'm going down to, I'm going down to Egypt. Egypt, by the way, anytime you go to the world for help in the famine, you're going down. And Isaac headed down. And on his way to Egypt, he came to Gerar. And God said, don't go any further. You've gone down enough, don't go any further. And I think if you and I expect to get direction from God in this famine, then we've got to make certain we're not going to the world to try to get direction. You can't listen to the voice of the world and the voice of God at the same time in the midst of a famine and expect to hear the same thing. Unfortunately, it seems that many believers today are listening to the world rather than listening to God. He was headed down to Egypt. Don't go down any further. There's a warning given. Part of getting direction from God is, is hearing where not to go. Most of us don't like that, do we? We're like little children. We don't want to be told where we can't go. We don't want to be told what we can't eat. We don't want to be told what we can't do. But we need it, don't we? Just like children need it. Just like children need to be told, you can't have chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sorry. Just like children need to be told, sorry, you can't play in the street. Because it's dangerous. We also need to be told, don't go any further. I wonder tonight if God, even this very evening, needs to tell you, don't go any further. You've headed south long enough. You're headed in the wrong direction. Do not go down into Egypt. Right off the back of that, he gives direction. Don't go down. Dwell in the land. I love this. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. That sounds very familiar. That's almost identically what he, what he spoke to Abraham, his father. Remember that? Pack up your bags, bags, head out of here. I'll tell you where to go. Uh, Abraham said, okay, where, how do I, where, where do I go? I'll tell you. And here it is again. I'm going to first tell you where not to go. Don't go to the world. And I'll tell you where to go as you go. There's an expectation. If you want to get direction from God in the famine, there's an expectation. By the way, God expects faith from you. We oftentimes make decisions based upon what we can see, based upon what we can feel, based upon what's comfortable, based upon what's safe. God desires for you to live a life of faith. He gives you just enough for now. I love what he says, how he says it. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. And then the next verse, sojourn in this land. So God is saying, I will tell you, there's more to come. I'll give you instruction and direction. But right now, here's your direction. You obey this and I'll give you a little bit more direction. And so the expectation was that Isaac would, like his father, Abraham, would learn how to listen to God's leading and directing. But there was a promise with it as well. And we find the same promise, really, which was given to his father. Sojourn in this land. By the way, it's a conditional promise. If you sojourn, if you follow me, if you listen to me, sojourn in this land and I will be with thee. And I will bless thee. 
For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Now I like this. Here's what God is saying. God is saying this. The very basis to what God promised Isaac was what he had already said before. I don't want to hear somebody get up in a pulpit and tell me some new revelation they heard from God. God's given me a word from heaven. No, no, no. If it doesn't match up with what God's already said, you better turn on that that little light in your mind, that little warning light in your mind that says something's not right here. Because over and over in God's word, He confirms what He'd previously promised and previously said, He confirms it again. And that's what we have here. Sojourn in this land, I'll bless thee, I'll be with you, I'll bless thee, for unto thee and thy seed will I give these countries. And the very basis for that promise and the very basis for that blessing was upon what he had already promised to Abraham before. God's voice to Isaac was directly connected to his already spoken word. The problem is today we don't want to hear what's already been spoken. We want to hear something new, don't we? And that's where people get themselves in trouble. Because instead of opening up the word of God, which is an eternal book, a tried and tested and true book, we want to hear something new and something fresh. Now, there's the direction in the famine. I want you to notice there's always a danger in the famine. I think the greatest danger in the famine, or at least one of the greatest dangers in a time of famine, is self-sufficiency. Are you listening? One of the greatest dangers in a time of famine is self-sufficiency. The idea is, I've got to get myself out of this mess. Now, here's what people often do. They panic, don't they? Things get tough, they panic. Things get difficult, they panic. Things don't work out the way that they thought they should work out, and they panic. And oftentimes, panic leads to this thinking. We've got to do something. The problem isn't that we've got to do something. The problem is that you don't see like God sees. And so because you don't see like God sees, if you don't ask God what you ought to be doing, you'll come up with a totally different plan than what God has. Because your sight is limited. And that's the very reason why Isaac was headed south. Isaac went to Abimelech. He was headed to Egypt, as I mentioned a moment ago. And let me just ask, Again, that little question, how many Christians today are headed to Egypt for help? Are looking to the world for help? Are looking to the world for advice? Are looking to the world for sustenance? Everybody's worried. Everybody's panicking. Instead of going to God, the very source of life itself, we're going to the world. Going to Egypt. And self-sufficiency always leads to trouble. Now notice what happens in Isaac's self-sufficiency. Look at verse number 5. Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments and statutes and my laws. In verse number 6. Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of that place asked him of his wife, and he said, She is my sister. And you know why he said that? Well, first of all, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? If you rewind back to Genesis chapter 20, you find Isaac's father, Abraham, doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same place. To a man called exactly the same name, Abimelech. Now they imagine that Abimelech was a title. So chances are there was two different men with the same title, like Pharaoh was a title. But nonetheless, he was doing the very same thing. 
Self-sufficiency led him to take the same pattern as his father. By the way, fathers, beware, your children are watching. And oftentimes, your sins become their sins. And more so. Here's Isaac, just a few years later, doing exactly what his father did. Lying to try to preserve himself. May the Lord keep us from such silliness. The interesting thing about this is that a pagan king had to rebuke Isaac. It's a sad day when a pagan has to rebuke a believer because the believer's done wrong. That's what happened. There's a danger. Self-sufficiency in this day, in this famine, is a great danger. Do not become self-sufficient. Don't make decisions on a whim. Don't be flippant about life-changing decisions. Make certain you're following the leading and directing of God. And that'll be in direct accordance with his word. Now there's something else I want you to see. There is, for God's people, a prosperity in the famine. Now that's an amazing thought. There is the potential, at least, of prosperity in the famine. Now before you pass out, I'm not preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel tonight. But there is a spiritual prosperity for the people of God when the world we're living in is a spiritual famine. There is a prosperity. In fact, God desires for His children to be blessed in the famine. It's an amazing thing. God never promises that He would keep us from the famine. He never promises He'd keep us from the flood. He never promises he'd keep us from the fire, but he promised to be with us through it all. We spend most of our time trying to get out of all of our problems. When God says, no, I want you to stay in there and I'll help you through it. And I'll bless you in it. And that's what we find here. Look what it tells us in our text. After Isaac and Abimelech sorted their problem out with Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, the Bible says in our text something very interesting. We find in verse Number 12, that Isaac sowed in that land. Now that's interesting. I thought they were in a famine. Can I ask you this evening, are you sowing? Can I tell you, would you listen very carefully? The typical action in a time of a famine is to sit back and say, what are we going to do? A believer ought to be sowing in the midst of a famine. Everybody else says, uh, we can't sow now. Not in this land. There's not much we can really do but sort of ride out the storm and hope it gets better quick. But that's not the mentality of Isaac. Because that's not the mentality of a child of God who's following the leading of God. Oh, well, you know, uh, pastor, this is a bad time for everyone. So, just so. Yeah, but, but we're in a famine, Isaac. So. I understand, but there may not be any fruit if you sow, and then you may waste the seed. You're right. You know what? There may not be fruit. Maybe you'll sow and nothing will grow. But can I tell you something? You definitely will not get any fruit if you don't sow. All the negative Nancys out there that says, hey, you know, there's no point in doing too much now. Don't get too excited because, you know, the day in which we're living, it's just, you know, hey, it's, 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 we're in a famine. You're exactly right. When we sit down and twiddle our thumbs, you can expect nothing to be done. And maybe, maybe we'll sow and sow and sow and sow and reap nothing. 
Maybe somebody behind us will. We may never see it, but perhaps the ones behind us, our children, will. So, so, why you still can? That's what Isaac did. Isaac sowed in that land, and look what it says, and received in the same year, the year of a famine, a hundredfold. You know, do you know how much everybody else received? Nothing. Because they weren't sowing. But Isaac received one hundredfold. Nobody else was doing anything, and so therefore they couldn't expect to reap any sort of harvest. But because Isaac sowed, even in the midst of a famine, a hundredfold he got. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have that hundredfold. I'd like to reap that kind of a harvest. That's interesting to me because the Lord Jesus promised that if he left houses and lands and family for the sake of Jesus Christ, he promised you would have a hundred times what you left behind in this life and in the life to come. It's interesting as well in that promise of a hundredfold that Jesus gives in the New Testament. In the promise of a hundred times what you leave behind, he also promised persecution. With persecution. That's probably why many people don't want to sow. Because they imagine that in sowing, they'll be persecuted. By the way, that principle is found here as well. In Isaac's prosperity came opposition. Because nobody wants to be sat there twiddling their thumbs uh, while they're watching you prospering a hundredfold. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes the one who doesn't go along with the program. Nobody likes the one who won't bow the knee and do what everybody else is doing. And it really bothers people. Especially when they begin to see a bit of prosperity. George Whitfield, I told you, I've been reading a biography of Mr. Whitfield. He went away just before he left for America. God began to, to work in the hearts of people in, in this country. And revival began to break, break out in the United Kingdom. In fact, it was such a mighty movement of God that everywhere Whitfield went in preparation to go for America as a matter of months, but, but by the time he actually got on the boat, the boat left. He got delayed several times, and everywhere he went, there were crowds and crowds of people waiting to hear. On the boat, as it made its journey along the, the coast of England, uh, Whitfield had second thoughts about whether he should be leaving because God was obviously moving. Went to America for a matter of three months, came back. The whole process took just under a year. When he got back, he heard of such a mighty movement of God, and, and he heard there were hundreds waiting on him to get back into London. Hundreds saying, I was converted a year ago when you were preaching. I was converted nine months ago when you were preaching. But do you know what else was waiting for him when he got back? A whole load of angry Anglican ministers who were jealous. Jealous. Jealous at the way he did things and jealous at, because he was seeing fruit. And, and so they began to tear him apart, censor him, write letters all through other ministers and say, don't let this man into your church. And church door after church door after church door was closed to the great preacher. George Whitfield, because there's a promise that with prosperity, with the 100-fold, there's persecution. Well, there aren't very many George Whitfields because there aren't very many people who can handle the persecution. Everybody wants the 100-fold, but nobody wants the persecution that comes with it. So here we have Isaac, prospering, certainly prospering, but with that prosperity came opposition. In fact, verse 16, it finally came so bad that Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, leave, for thou art much mightier 
than we. The Bible says in verse 14, the Philistines envied him. They were jealous of him. Believe. But let me go back to that little thought. If he hadn't sowed, he wouldn't be in that position. I love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 126. You've heard me preach on it before. In Psalm 126, it's a song of degrees. And one of those psalms that were sung by the nation of Israel as they made their way to the temple annually. And at the end of the psalm, it begins with saying, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream." talking about the time when God finally turned things. They were in a very difficult place and finally God delivered them. And then the Bible says in verse number 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There's a promise of blessing. There's a promise of harvest. There's a promise of rejoicing if you'll only go and sow. Now, there's another reason people don't want to sow because it's hard work. It's hard work to plow a field and plant the seed. It's hard work. It's easier just to confess that we're in a famine and ain't nothing going to happen. That's easier. But if you go and sow, there's a promise. There's a promise of blessing. One hundredfold, the Bible tells us in verse number 12, he received. And look at verse 13. And the man waxed great. He got back a hundred times what he sowed and he became a great man. And look at the next verse. Let me tell you what else happened. Why he prospered? Because he sowed. That was the first reason he prospered. And let me tell you another reason he prospered. Look at the next part of the verse. The man waxed great and went forward. There's a second reason he prospered. He sowed and he went forward. Do you know where, where many people stop? Do you know where so many people go wrong? At the very first sign of blessing or prosperity, of harvest or fruitfulness, they stop. And they revel in their apparent success. Look how great we've become. Look how good we are now. It isn't it wonderful. But Isaac went forward. Forward. And the pathway of a believer, you've heard me say it before, is onwards and upwards. Never a place to stop, never a place to quit, never a place of retreat, but go forward. No matter how much God blesses you, go forward. Because there's more. There's more. There's a beautiful verse found in the, in the Chronicles that says this, The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Oh, this is wonderful. God has blessed us. It's been marvelous how God has blessed us in the famine. But there's more. We've only just begun. The Lord is able to give thee much more. In fact, our God is the God of much more. Do you know what the Lord Jesus said to his disciples? He said, you think this is great? You'll be able to do more than this. Now, we oftentimes have a hard time grasping that. I certainly do. But this proves that our God is the God of much more. I love Romans chapter 5. It's a beautiful uh, book. Romans is a beautiful book of doctrine. But Romans chapter 5 is filled with some of the great uh, doctrines of soteriology, of salvation. It's a fancy word that means salvation. And in this passage, you have over and over, four times much more given for us. Paul writing to the church at Rome, and he says in verse number 8, that famous verse, but God commendeth His love towards us. He proved and demonstrated His love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Isn't that marvelous? But the very next verse says this. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And it goes on. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And again in verse number 15, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And again, verse 17, if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one, Jesus Christ. And the last one is my favorite, found in verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. And we forget that we have a God of much more and we settle for less. Would you look this way for a moment? Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. There's much more. Go forward. And so Isaac went forward. He prospered because he sowed, because he went forward. Watch this. Let me show you the last reason that he prospered. And this is a beautiful one. The Bible tells us that Isaac went forward. And what did he do when he went forward? He grew until he became very great. He went from being great to very great. And then the Bible says, in going forward, he, he departed thence, verse 17, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. Look at verse 18. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham. What does going forward look like? I'll tell you what it is. What, is it, what does it mean? What does it look like to go forward? Well, does that mean we get the latest and most modern methods in the, in the Christian world and get the late Christian fancy glossy magazines and, and, and subscribe to the YouTube channels and, and figure out the, your best life now and, your, and how to grow your ministry in three easy steps? What, is that? what does it look like to go forward? New technology? Nothing wrong with technology. New techniques? Nothing wrong with techniques. New gimmicks? Nope. Do you know how Isaac went forward? He went back and digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. Can I tell you where people are going wrong today? Would you look here? Everybody wants to do something new. Everybody wants to do something new. But Isaac went back to the old wells. Now why did he do that? I'll tell you why he did that. Because he knew that there was a source of blessing there. He went back to the old wells because if those wells had served and nourished his father in the times past, why couldn't they do the same for him? Jeremiah chapter 6, you'll know the verse. And verse number 16 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Everybody wants to find a new path. We ought to be asking for the old paths. Everybody wants to dig a new well. A new well filled with Kool-Aid. When the scripture said, go back and dig the old wells. Go back to the things that are tried and tested and proved before. If they could sustain his father, they can sustain you. And not only that, but when he digged again, do you know what happened? The enemy came and filled in those old wells. 
We are living in a generation when the enemy has filled, absolutely filled the old wells. In an attempt to be relevant, in an attempt to be modern, in an attempt to be, uh, in an attempt to be uh, what all the intellectual people want them to be, we've filled in all the old wells. May God forgive us. Isaac went back and began to dig again. Now let me say, nobody wants to go back to the old wells because we've already accepted defeat. That doesn't work anymore. Well, it doesn't work anymore because there's a load of muck shoved down it. Get it out. Nobody wants to dig the wells anymore because it doesn't work anymore. Nobody wants to dig the wells anymore because it'll take a lot of hard work to get them up and running again. Nobody wants to work hard these days. When he did it, the Bible says in verse number 18, and he named them after, called their names after the names by which his father had called them. There was a real reverence and respect. A real reverence and respect for how God had moved and worked and provided in the past. We live in perhaps one of the most spiritually rich nations in the world. A rich heritage in this country that the majority of people here have no idea about. A rich heritage. And in an attempt to be fresh and new and modern, we've buried that heritage. Buried it all together. But Isaac digged again. They've been buried over. What are we going to do? Dig again. Uh, but yeah, but they're not even working. Dig again. If it worked before, why not now? And so he went, the Bible says, and he digged again. Let me show you something else. Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. That is a beautiful, beautiful reminder of what Jesus tells us in John chapter 4 and verse number 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. It wasn't a still or a dead well, but it was a well of living water. A well of life. A source of fresh water. And again, you find it in John chapter 7. If you remember, John 7 verse 38 and 39, the Lord Jesus again says the same thing. He tells us this, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Do you know that God has already given us everything that we need? Just like God had already given Isaac everything he needed, he just needed to access it. And God has given you everything you need. Are you a Christian? Are you a child of God? He's given you everything you need. You just need to dig again those wells. You just need to access it. You need to get to it. Running water, fresh water, living water. That will sustain you in the time of famine. As so many people today are starving and dying of thirst in the famine, spiritually speaking, because they haven't learned how to dig again those wells. And they're expecting everybody else to do it for them. May the Lord help us. It's interesting. You find in our text four times, verse number 18, and Isaac digged again. Verse number 19, Isaac's servants digged. Verse 21, and they digged another well. And in verse 22, they digged another well. You know what happened? In verse 25, they digged again five times. They dug a well and the enemy came and took it. 
No problem, we'll dig another well. And they dig another well. You see, but the whole world's trying to stop us. Everybody's trying to put it into it. Keep digging. Keep digging. Yeah, but we've lost that. Keep digging. We've lost so much ground in 2021 as Christians. Keep digging. Keep digging. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be alongside of an Isaac. I'd much rather be there where there is prosperity and blessing in the time of famine than I would be headed down to Egypt. And by the way, Isaac was almost there before God spoke to him and stopped it. And maybe tonight you're headed there. And maybe it's the voice of God that you need to hear. Find direction from him. He'll lead you in accordance with his word. He'll guide you if you'll only listen. He'll direct you in this time. Be careful of the danger of self-sufficiency, trying to figure it all out yourself. And may the Lord help us to prosper 100-fold. 100-fold. So, go forward and dig again. May the Lord help us. Let's bow our heads in prayer, then we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, help us. In this time of famine, help us to trust thee, to listen to thy voice. Help us to wait upon thee, Lord. Help us to be those who, who determine and recognize that though there be a famine in this world, there is still opportunity to prosper. There is opportunity for the 100-fold. And help us to sow. Help us to sow in tears. Give us tears for the lost. Give us compassion for a lost and dying world. Help us to sow, Lord. Help us to move forward. May we never become self-sufficient and proud and never think that prosperity is due to us. Father, help us to dig again. Help us to realize that Thou art a God that has blessed and moved before in this country and in this world and are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Help us to trust Thee for much more. Help us to believe that there is much more ahead. Give us faith in a time when faith seems to be dying. Give us prosperity in the time of spiritual drought and starvation. Help us, Lord, I pray. I pray that we as thy children may be used in a great way. Keep us from heading south, Lord. Keep us from going to the world. May we ever turn to thee. Father, we ask thee for the old paths. We ask thee to show us how to walk and how to live. Guide our footsteps. Guide our thoughts. Guide our decisions that we might honor thee in it all.